Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Many of you heard the first part of my interview with Sheila Gregoire last week. If you haven't heard that yet, please go there first and then join us here. And before we get to her, it's summer coming up. Summer schedules are crazy. So many abuse episodes happen during the summer. On a family trip, when you're stuck in the car, you find out about porn or you find out about something and then you have to show up at a family reunion or you're stuck on vacation and your husband isn't acting very nice and you're confused about what's going on and you need support right then. BTRG or Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is our daily online support group. We have multiple sessions every single day in every single time zone. I think we're up to 30 plus sessions per week. You can hop on anywhere from a device, from a tablet, from a computer, in your closet, in a car, if you're not driving, of course. Keep that in the back of your mind as summer comes around. And also, just even if you're not traveling, if you've got kids at home and they're not at school and you really need support, you can you know shut your bedroom door and go in there and get the support that you need. So to see the group schedule, go to btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. Thank you for all of you who have rated the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps. So if you haven't already and you're so inclined, I would really appreciate a review of yours. Go to Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps and give us a five-star review. We also appreciate any time you share our content or rate us on Facebook. Getting the word out about this podcast helps so many women who are in need and really need this information. My personal goal is to make sure that when they're searching online, that they find us that they don't find every man's battle that we talked about last week or some of the things Sheila and I are going to talk about this week. So speaking of Sheila, let's continue our conversation now. Can you talk about these popular Christian resources and some of the main themes that you saw that were really unhealthy for women? Yeah, well, over and over again, one of the biggest ones is summed up in a book called Love and Respect, where the author says, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. And that says so much. Like, first of all, it says sex is for the guy. It's not for the woman. It phrases sex in terms of his need rather than just a drive. You know, I don't believe sex is a need. I think we all have a sex drive, but it's not a need. <laughs> and when we talk about sex as a need, then we frame it as something which she would be depriving him if she ever said no. He's going to die if you don't have sex with him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like air and food. So that's highly problematic. That was really typical, that framing of sex as something which is about him, not about her. And then the other one, I think, which was really big, which goes throughout most resources, is that you're just not allowed to deprive him. So sex is an obligation that women owe. Kevin Lehman in Sheet Music said, you know, when you get married, realize that you're signing up to have sex at least two or three times a week for the rest of your life. And sometimes you might have to force yourself and you might want to shove him off of you, but you have to do it anyway as an act of obedience. And so we actually measured that. We said, what happens if women have sex when their primary motivation is because I have to? And it just leads to all kinds of terrible things in terms of marital and sexual satisfaction. And it drives the couple further and further apart. So having that as your motivation, it's just terrible. And it's not biblical. It's not life-giving. 
Yeah, I really appreciated how you brought up marital rape, which, to my knowledge, is not mentioned anywhere in any of these popular Christian resources. They never say, if you don't get your wife's consent, then it's rape, right? And I love how you brought that up. Were there any questions about marital rape in your study? We couldn't specifically ask about it for ethical reasons. We're planning on getting this study peer reviewed and in some journals, like, a, a, well, planning on creating lots of different articles for it. And one of the problems is as soon as you ask, like, are you a victim of marital rape, then we are obligated to provide help. And we just weren't in the position to do that for 20,000 people. So we couldn't specifically ask. What we did do is we talked about it in some focus groups and in some follow-up surveys. And what I can tell you <laughs> is that of the women who left their email addresses, which was about 20% of the women who took our survey, about 20% of them said that they had stories of marital rape to share with us, which is a very high percentage and very scary. Now, obviously, that was a self-selected group, and so we can't say how prevalent it is, but the idea that None of the evangelical resources that we looked at even said the word consent. Now, I do want to say my sex books do, <laughs> but my sex books weren't part of our study for obvious reasons. But John Gottman's book, which was a secular book, the best-selling marriage book on the secular market, which we used as our control book, uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, that one spoke at length about consent. And so this is something which is talked about all the time in the secular world, which the Christian world has no idea how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciated your discussing that. Many of our listeners have experienced marital rape. And so that number does not surprise me at all because we're, we're talking, <laughs> we talk about it all the time. <laughs> but that, that's, uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just something that's common around here. So that's something that I'm really glad that you brought up. So can we talk about every man's battle for a minute. I recommended Sarah McDougall's Facebook expose on it, which she took a lot from this chapter of yours and talking about this is bad. But one of my favorite parts of your book, and I found it to be so hilarious, and I think you intended it this way, is DEFCON 5. <laughs> there is a woman. This is on page 82. DEFCON 4, you notice her, right? DEFCON 3, and then goes to DEFCON 1, which is lust. And then you talk about how it's noticing is different than lust, right? Or just seeing someone is different than lust. I think this is so funny where you have this other graph that's like, there is a woman. Just go on with your day. Like, it's no big, you know, like, I, I love how you're trying to tell men the answer to your lust problem is not thinking of women as objects and trying to ignore them or whatever. The answer is seeing them as people and treating them with respect. This is like fodder for stand up comedy. I love it. Okay. So every man's battle basically says that men are going to lust. And the book is really strange, okay? Because it'll give a lot of lists of things that men do. Like maybe you find yourself opening the door for her, but not out of honorable means, just so that she can go first and you can stare at her behind. You know, maybe you find yourself looking across the room at a woman where a button has come undone. Maybe you find yourself masturbating in a gym car parking lot to see the women exiting the gym. And it's like, excuse me? Like one of those things is not like the other. Well, also it's a crime. It's a crime. 
That is like masturbating in a car. That is a crime. They'll combine these things that, okay, yeah, the first two aren't nice, but they're not awful. Okay, so he wants to look at her butt. I mean, I'm not pleased with that, but it's not horrible. But then they'll have this masturbating in a car parking lot. Or they'll tell a story about this guy who his sister-in-law, they're watching TV, him and his sister-in-law, and his sister-in-law's lying down on the floor on her stomach and she falls asleep and she's got really short shorts on. And so he masturbates there while she's asleep on the floor. And they portray that as a sin against his purity, when really that is a sin against her. And this is the problem throughout that book is that every time he lusts, it is a sin against his purity. And she never enters the equation. Like whenever they talk about women, they talk about women in sexual terms. Like they give this really gross discussion of this jogger at the very beginning of the book, how her glistening flesh and her ample bosom and her skin tight tie dyed jogging suit. Like it's just gross. And that's how they treat women. And then they say that the solution to lust is to bounce your eyes and not look at women and then to transfer all of your sexual energy to your wife. So the solution to lust is to stop lusting after everybody else and just lust after your wife. But, you know, lust is a sin, even if it's after your wife. Like lust is just simply using someone else for your gratification. That's what lust is. And so you shouldn't be lusting after your wife either. You should be loving your wife and enjoying an intimate experience with her, not just using her. But they think it's okay to use her because she's just your wife. And the way that they talk about lust and quitting lust is exactly the same way that porn does. Like you can't defeat lust when you agree with lust's definition of women. You know, lust's definition of women is women exist as sexual objects. And so the way that I'm going to defeat lust is to never, ever look at a woman because she's a sexual object and then to treat my wife like a sexual object so that I don't want to treat all these other women like sexual objects. How about just simply learning how to respect women as whole people? I'm going to take a break for just a second to talk about my adult picture book, rather my picture book for adults, since it's not really an adult picture book, called Trauma Mama Husband Drama. It's available on our books page, which is btr.org backslash books, as is Sheila's book, The Great Sex Rescue. On our books page, we have all the books that we recommend. They're curated there for you. If you click on them, it just takes you right to Amazon. You can put them in your cart. Trauma Mama Husband Drama is a picture book, and so it really helps get through all the complex concepts very quickly in a way that you can visualize. So it's a different mode of learning. It's a really good book to show other people what you're going through. You can be like, this is exactly what it was like to live in my house. And not that it would be exactly the same, but the patterns are very similar. In the back, it has a bunch of infographics that people have found to be really helpful. So again, Trauma Mama Husband Drama. When you purchase the book, I really appreciate it when you go back to Amazon and leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings help that Amazon algorithm, and so people can find the book. And when they find the book, they find the podcast. So even if they don't purchase the book, it helps them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Okay, now back to our discussion. One thing that you state over and over, and I love it, is you keep saying, really? Have we set the bar this low for men? right? It's not only a disservice to women, but it's also a disservice to men to say, yeah, you can't expect to like treat women with respect. You're some kind of low animal that 
just can't function. So you have to just like, what, shut your eyes and, you know, Mr. Magoo through life. It's crazy. I'm a book called Through a Man's Eyes. And in the first chapter, it's describing how totally stressful this man's life is because he's trying to remain pure for his wife. So his entire workday is stressful because what if one of his coworkers is sitting across from him in their meeting and her button is undone? Or what if another coworker, what if her skirt is too short? And what if the barista at the coffee shop, what if she's wearing something that's tight? And what if he sees these billboards and he's trying not to look at anybody all day and then he gets home and he's just so happy that now he gets to look at his wife. And I read that and I'm like, are men really that stressed their entire life? Like, is it that difficult to be a man? So I asked my husband who's a pediatrician and he works in an all female environment. So all the other doctors are female. The nurses tend to be female. The parents who bring the kids in are female. So I thought if life is really this stressful, he's going to have a terrible time. So I said, are you stressed all day because a woman might have a button undone or she might be too attractive? And he laughed at me. He didn't think I was serious. And I said, no, no, I am serious. Like, is this difficult for you? And he still laughed at me. But the book had told me that men will not confess this to you. Men will not tell you the truth. And so your husband won't tell you the truth. So I'm wondering, is he just not telling me the truth? And then when he realized I was serious, he's like, wait, no, there are guys like that. No, there's not. I don't want to share too much information, but my husband is not a low drive man. (laughs) Like, okay. Like he's got testosterone and everything. And he thought this whole idea was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard because my husband respects women. And he was really offended. He was offended that people would think that a man can't just respect women. And I just wish more men would get upset at the demeaning, horrible way these books treat men. Yeah, I thought that was a really important part of your book. I mean, I talk to my sons about that often. Like when we went to a um, water park and one of my sons was like, Mom, I don't know if I want to go there because there's so many girls who are in bikinis and it kind of bothers me. And I said, well, what do you think would happen if they didn't have a stomach, these women? (laughs) And he was like, oh, I'm like, what is their stomach for? And I'm like, is it for you to look at or is it so they can eat? And he was like, oh. So they can eat. And I was like, and what are their legs for? I was like, what if a woman didn't have legs? You know, I'm trying to help him realize that like women, regardless of what they're wearing or doing, they're people. And she's not wearing a bikini to like ruin your day. She's just wearing a bikini because she wants to go to the beach and have a good time. So, so many women, when they find out about their husband's porn use, they go into this mode where they're like, we can't go to the beach. We can't go swimming. We can't watch the Super Bowl because, you know, there might be women dancers or we can't do this or we can't do that. And all of a sudden, the things that they're able to do just narrows and narrows and narrows. And I'm not saying that people should do things that are unethical or immoral or anything like that. But I I like going to the beach. You know, I want to go to the beach. I want to go to a water park with my kids. I want to enjoy activities, regular, wholesome activities with my children. Can you talk about women who sort of go into this, which I have a lot of empathy for because that's pretty much all of our listeners. Can we empathetically talk about women who are in this stage where they think my husband is this low bar, so I now have the weight of his inability to just treat women with respect on my shoulders? What would you say to them? Well, first of all, I'm so sorry. Because that's such a tremendous burden to bear. And you should never have to bear that. 
But in terms of, of how to handle that, I think what I would say is you should not curtail your life just because he can't handle things. If he can't go to the beach, you can still go to the beach with your kids. <laughs> like, don't wreck your own life. But the other thing is to remember what victory should look like. Um, you are not responsible for making sure that your husband never looks at other women. And if your husband is still unable to go out to dinner in case a waitress is really good looking or to go to the beach or whatever, then he still has a lot more work to do. And victory <laughs> means that he's able to look at women as whole people. And that means that he needs to stop blaming women for his porn use and for his lust. The reason he's lusting is not because of what she's wearing. The reason he's lusting is because of how he chooses to see women. And it is not her fault. When we are making women the problem, then we're actually reinforcing the issue. And what I would really recommend is that he start getting some intense counseling with a licensed counselor or go to a really good group where they can talk about how to respect women. And if you have to take like, you know, a month long hiatus where you don't watch Netflix movies, that's fine. But that should not turn into a two year or three year hiatus. And if it does, it means that he's not really doing the work. Yeah, absolutely. We see that type of behavior and disrespect for women as actually an abuse issue here at BTR that we've got an emotionally and psychologically abusive man who is unable to view women as people, and that's going to include you. If he's still having trouble seeing women respectfully, it's also going to be you as his wife. And I'd like to conclude here with your chapter six, which I just thought was perfect. Your wife, you say your spouse, but I'm going to say your wife. Your wife is not your methadone. You're talking about don't use your wife as a drug. Around here, I say alcoholics abuse alcohol, drug addicts abuse drugs, and porn addicts abuse people. They use people as drugs. Can you talk about why you chose this analogy and just go ahead and conclude with your final thoughts? Yeah, well, <laughs> a story. There's a good story behind this. When we first read the book Love and Respect in January of 2019, I was absolutely floored. Up until that time, I had never read a lot of evangelical sex and marriage books or Christian sex and marriage books because I was always so scared of plagiarizing. So even though I'm in this, I hadn't read them. And so I read Love and Respect and I read the sex chapter and it said that men need sex in a way that women don't. If men don't get physical release, they're going to have an affair and women need to understand men's lust problem. And that's really all it said. It was terrible. And I wrote up a blog post about this and I was trying to convey how awful this was, like how absolutely abhorrent this was. And I was talking to my daughter, who's one of the co-authors of The Great Sex Rescue. And she said, well, it's almost like he's talking about women like they're methadone. And I thought, yeah, that's the perfect analogy. So we said like women are not methadone. And then <laughs> I'm reading Every Man's Battle for this project and they actually think that's a selling feature. Like they used that line twice. They said, once he quits cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Wow. Like they did it unironically. We were saying it ironically. They did it unironically. Like they thought this was a good line. They have no clue. And it's like, let's think about what that's really saying. 
Okay, methadone is a substitute. So if you're addicted to opioids, what you really want is the opioid. But you will settle for methadone because it satiates you just enough that you don't feel the need to go after the opioid. So if we're talking about this in the context of marriage and pornography, what we're saying is what he really wants is to masturbate to that really hot woman doing something on the screen. But he will settle for having sex with you because that will satiate him enough that he won't go for the porn right now. Like, that's disgusting. Women are not methadone. Women are whole people made in the image of God, and we should never have been treated that way. And it's absolutely unconscionable that that book series sold 4 million copies. Like, where is the discernment? And where are the leaders saying women are worth more than this? And I guess that's what I want to get out of this book, is I want people to read it and to understand women are worth more than this. We are precious. And sex was never meant to be reduced to, hey, let him ejaculate inside of you so that he doesn't watch pornography. That is abusive in every way. I... I'm so grateful that you wrote this book, that you have shed light on these really dangerous ideas that many Christian women have had as the foundation of their understanding of what sex is and what their quote unquote role is in it. Thank you so much for all of your hard work on behalf of women everywhere. Well, thank you. And and thank you for what you're doing too, because my heart really is for those who have been betrayed. And I pray that this message will get out there and that will be a message of real freedom. And just to know that God wants wholeness. He wants real intimacy. And it is never, ever his heart that any woman feel used. I'd like to thank Sheila for all of her amazing work. She is incredible. I cannot recommend this book enough. Again, The Great Sex Rescue. You can find it on our books page, btr.org backslash books. If this podcast is helpful to you, please share it with people on Facebook or tag people on Instagram to let people know about the wonderful content that BTR creates. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. We're not super active on Twitter. If any of you are Twitter geniuses and you want to volunteer and help us figure out Twitter, we would really appreciate that. Also, we love to hear your stories. So if you want to share your story of coming into the understanding of abuse and that this porn use was an abusive situation or marital rape or whatever you went through, please contact my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I, at btr.org. I'd love to talk to you. I love talking to women in our community about their experiences. Also, to support the podcast, go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.